Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It's April 24th, 2018, joined by a special guest, Greg Easterbrook, with his Tuesday morning quarterback column returning to the pages of the Weekly Standard. Good to talk with you, Greg. Glad to be here, Charlie. Right, we have a lot of ground to talk, uh, a lot of ground to cover. I want to talk about uh, cheerleaders. I want to talk about uh, Mr. Pruitt. I want to talk about time travel. But let's start with a preview of the NFL draft and the big question, which of the quarterbacks uh, are going to go first? So let's talk about um, this draft and the the embarrassment of riches that the NFL has. Well, since you want to raise time travel in this podcast, Charlie, let me tell you, I have already traveled to next year's Super Bowl, and I can tell you who's going to win if you want to factor that into your bets. But okay. maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't tell you that. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's talk about the quarterbacks. Uh, th- there's an unusual proliferation of good-looking quarterbacks this year. And as I detail in Tuesday Morning Quarterback today, the quarterback position becomes ever more valuable, not just for the obvious reasons, of course, the quarterback's a key player, but the league keeps changing rules to encourage more completions and discourage hits on the quarterback. That makes teams more interested in trading up to get quarterbacks, and uh, and I think at least four and maybe as many as six will will go in the first round this year. And I, I say in Tuesday morning quarterback, if I had to choose your listeners, probably know the names of all the guys who are being discussed the, the gentleman that I like is Josh Rosen of UCLA. I think his passes look just exactly like the passes that Aaron Rodgers throws. And Aaron Rodgers was a California boy, kind of a surfer, surfer boy by upbringing, just like Josh Rosen is. He reminds me of Aaron Rodgers. He looks like Aaron Rodgers in the pocket. Yeah, UCLA had a, a losing season this year. But, boy, if I, was, if I had the first pick, he's the guy that I would snag. Yeah, you, you have an interesting line. If the Cleveland Browns don't use their first choice on a quarterback, their fans ought to rise up in righteous anger. Not just righteous, righteous <laughs> anger. They should get pitchforks and torches and go to the Cleveland Browns' offices, wherever that may be, and destroy them. They, the Browns just absolutely have to take a quarterback with the first pick. Everybody who follows football will put his head in his hands, or her hands, as the case may be, if they don't. Right, let's just step back a little bit because uh, the, the the NFL has been through a somewhat rocky road in a number of different areas, including the uh, the uh, the suggestion that it's losing in popularity. Give me your sense of how the NFL protests have played into the decline in NFL ratings. Is 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 it is it really cause and effect? Um, do you think? It, it, it's hard to separate people's opinions of the league from the protests. I tend to think that they didn't have that much effect on ratings. It certainly caused some reaction among among some fans. I don't think it affected ratings. I think ratings were declining anyway, just like they are declining all across the television landscape. I think if you compare them and make charts, you see that NFL ratings are declining at roughly the same rate that all kinds of other programming's rating is declining. But I also think parents are upset about all the concussion stories. Mm-hmm. It's totally obvious that the NFL is still dragging its feet on this. Um, but equally important, I constantly point out in TMQ that the statistical majority of football players in the United States are minors, are children. Mm-hmm. Most football is played in high school and at the youth levels. I think youth tackle football should be banned. I think high school football is okay, depending on the conditions. But almost all the con- concussion risk 
in modern football is taken on by children, not by the adults in the NFL who know what they're doing and and make a voluntary choice and are very well compensated for that choice. But I think just general sense of disgust, similar to, although not as strong as, the disgust that, develop, that developed over prize fighting in the 1930s, mm-hmm. I think is developing about football. And it's and since the league is completely determined to pretend it's not happening, uh, that disgust is just going to get worse. You know, I'm a big NFL fan. I really enjoyed, obviously, being a Wisconsinite. I'm a, I'm a Packer fan. But I am continually amazed um, that given the size, the strength, and the speed of play in the NFL, that someone is not killed on every play. I mean, the yeah. violence of the sport, which, of course, is its attraction. So I don't know how. Is the, is there some sweet spot where somehow you 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 make uh, football, quote unquote, acceptable or, or or safe when your main product is is the is the violence? I can tell you that in a celebrity touch football game that I once participated in and not, not as a celebrity, I was one of the villains. I got hit by Bo Jackson. And it, it was like being hit by a locomotive going 100 miles an hour. And it was that was a very casual, friendly game. So uh, I can uh, I sometimes think the same thing. You know, when I when I whenever I drive on a super highway, I think, why don't these cars crash more often? And when I watch football, I think the same that you do, that something really horrible could happen. I think the reason that it doesn't is that athletes are elaborately conditioned. The medical staffs of of all NFL teams and, and most big college programs now too, also are first rate. People are coached in most cases, not all of course, but in most cases to try to avoid the kind of contact that causes injury. Certainly quarterbacks in the, in the, the current generation have been coached to avoid the kind of contact that causes injury. And, and the, these guys are just in really good shape. It's like, we could do an entire podcast on this, but it's not the NFL players that I worry about getting injured, although, of course, I don't want them to get hurt. It's the youth and high school kids. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, when when my kids were in high school, both of them really wanted to go out and uh, well, they were interested in, in football. I, I actively discouraged that because because uh, the, the reality is, is that you know, you, you're going to carry that for the rest of your life if you break a leg or uh, you you have you have a head injury. Um, uh, you you also ad- address something in the in the column today that I have to admit is is some of our listeners may think that this is kind of random, but I'm slightly and I always confess when I'm obsessed about something. Um, you know, s- some of the lawsuits that are pending against the NFL uh, involving the treatment of cheerleaders. Um, again, the, the cheerleader issue, not the most important issue in American society or the NFL, but it really is extraordinary when you hear and read the details of how ridiculous the NFL's compensation and treatment of cheerleaders has become. Yes, and it, for some reason, the media has decided to notice this story this year. I've been writing about this in TMQ uh, in, in my today's column. I have a link to an article I did about that working conditions for cheerleaders nine, count them, nine years ago, <laughs> discussing in detail how little they're paid, the ridiculous restrictions on their personal lifestyle, some of which are sexist in character, some of which are just, some of which are just spurious. And, and I don't think 
cheerleaders doing swimsuit calendars or prancing around half naked on the sideline. I don't think that's exploitation. They're adults. They're making a choice. The, mm -hmm. the financial aspect of how they're treated is total exploitation. And it's one of the many things that's become offensive about the NFL that every man involved in the NFL is showered with money. The most prominent group of women, yeah, a small number, but the most prominent group of women involved in the NFL gets next to nothing below the below minimum wage in every case. Sub-minimum wage pay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I, I, I heard one of the uh, cheerleaders uh, do an interview where she was explaining how they, they had to go out during halftime and sell a certain number of calendars. And if they didn't sell their quota of calendars, they weren't allowed back on the field. And she also explained that that they had all sorts of elaborate rules that the cheerleaders could not, you know, talk to the players, couldn't be in the same restaurant with the players. But those rules didn't apply to the players. It 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 was like something out of out of Mad Men, out of the 1950s, and it makes you wonder, you know, how it persisted this long. Well, and if you think, well, they're getting some huge amount of money for that, so what are they complaining about? They're not. Most NFL cheerleaders are, cheerleaders are paid $100 per game, and they have to practice for free and attend corporate events for free. And when they po when when you hear about Donald Trump's porn star girlfriend, you think, well, at least she was well paid for that. Cheerleaders are not paid for doing the swimsuit calendars. It's total exploitation. And the, the point that I make in TMQ today, which seems to me the main point, is that it's exploitation that's happening on national television. It's not carefully concealed from the public. So if this is what can happen on national television where everyone knows about it, what the heck is happening to women in the workplace in private where we don't see? All right, just a basic question though. Do you need cheerleaders for people at NFL games to cheer? Uh, I think there, there are lots of fans who like it. Uh, the Pretty Dancing Girl has a long-established tradition in entertainment going back more than a century to vaudeville and, and before. Some people really like it. Some fans don't, including some male fans. I know some women fans find it ridiculous. Do, they, do cheerleaders actually cause the crowd to cheer more? Uh, I've got no idea. I think their main role is an entertainment role. They just create the sense that you're, enter you're attending an exciting event. And for creating that, perform... Performing as entertainers, they should be fairly paid. It is interesting. The Green Bay Packers, of course, don't have professional cheerleaders, unlike uh, so many other teams. Uh, now, your, your column is not just about football. I want people to understand that, including um, you have a section on Scott Pruitt, um, who continues to hang on to his job d despite multiple reports that well, give me give me your sense of, of, of how Scott Pruitt has gotten where where he's at. It's not just the spending, is it? It's not just the dollars. It's not just the dollars he's spending, not just the ridiculous cone of silence in his office, <laughs> as if the Russians are trying to spy on changes to our wetlands regulations or something. It's this insistence that he has to travel everywhere surrounded by 15 security guards because he's so important, like he's the last Habsburg emperor. The function of those guards is not to protect him from enraged doctoral students in, in ecological science. It's to make him appear to be a head of state so that he can cut to the heads of line, so that when his family went to Disneyland surrounded by pu publicly paid bodyguards, so they don't have to wait in line to take the rides. It's everything that's the very worst thing about the Washington swamp, and now it's gurgled to the top of the EPA.
Now, you do point out, though, that the Obama EPA boss, Gina McCarthy, also had multiple security guards, right? I mean, she rode around in an SUV motorcade to appearances, right, while she nagged the rest of us for using, you know, too much gasoline. Yeah, it, it, it was ridiculous in her case. Typically, she had a two-man security detail. Gina and I saw her do this, always rode in a gigantic SUV to her appearances where she wagged her finger about greenhouse gases. A lot of government officials are hypocritical on this, including increasingly local and even county level officials have security guards. Again, not to protect them. If society, besides the fact that crime is declining, but if society is so phenomenally dangerous that the county executive of Montgomery County, where I live, needs two bodyguards when he walks through the parking lot, which he does have, then doesn't everybody need a bodyguard walking through the party? Parking lot. But of course, they don't need these things. The real function of the bodyguards is to make the person feel important, make sure they never have to wait in line, to make them look like a member of royalty. It's one of the worst things about uh, about government, and Trump is doing not one single thing to counter it. Yeah, it is. It is the 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 entourage. Now, I mentioned at the top of uh, the podcast that you also write about uh, time travel or at least network television's obsession with time travel, because I'm always interested in looking for something new to watch. Um, what, why, why, why do you think time travel is enjoying a renaissance in American entertainment? I will answer that question in a second, but first, I think I would interject for any listener who's who's encountering the TMQ podcast for the first time. <laughs> this is a classic example of what TMQ is like, because the, the columns about the draft and we basically haven't mentioned the NFL draft yet. We'll get to that in a second. Absolutely. Um, time travel. Big. There, there's two primetime network shows, one on NBC, one on ABC about time travel right now. Netflix has two time travel shows. Uh, CW Network has several shows where time travel is coming. We just saw the fifth or sixth or seventh Terminator movie that's all about time travel. Here's why Hollywood likes time travel so much. Because not only does time travel not make sense, time travel can't make sense. So if you're a scriptwriter, there's no obligation on you at all to make anything make sense in the end, because it's impossible to make sense of the paradoxes of time travel. Okay, let's go back to time travel. Look ahead to the the NFL draft because we were going to get to the the NFL draft. So so tell me what you were other than the quarterbacks and the absolute necessity of the Cleveland Browns selecting a quarterback with his first overall draft pick. What are you looking at? Well, the thing that strikes since we're talking about television. The thing that strikes me about the draft as a cultural phenomenon is that this year Fox is going to be broadcasting it live. Uh, a generation ago when ESPN first broadcast the draft live, everybody thought the guys in Bristol were out of their minds. Who's going to watch this? Well, the answer turned out to be 30 million people or whatever last year's number is. So last year it was on ESPN and NFL Network. This year it will also be on Fox, on Fox and on Saturday it will also be on ABC. So the NFL draft coming up this week is going to get roughly the same amount of television coverage as the 1969 moon landing received. And, and it's just a it's a measure of the fact that even with ratings declining, football is still an incredible cultural phenomenon in the United States. You know, that's a really interesting point, because it's one thing to watch the game as a cultural phenomenon. It, it's, it is something else to watch how the sausage is being made. I... <laughs> You know, when you think about it, it's certainly it's one thing. Who's going to win the game? You know, you watch the Packers play the Bears. I, I get that. Watching the draft 
has become something. Other, there, there. You know, people have parties, people get together. Um, is is part of this the also the growth of fantasy football? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Americans are so obsessed with football that not for years they've been watching the draft just to hear people talk about football, not even to not even to watch it played. And if you turn on ESPN two or NFL Network at three o'clock in the morning, not that I've ever done this, you find guys talking about football and people watch those shows because of the level of obsession and fantasy football helps that because with before fantasy football, before the popularity, I should say, of fantasy football, and if the Tennessee Titans were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, only immediate family members of the right. players cared who won the game. But <laughs> but now all the, now fantasy owners all want to know what's happening in that game, even if both teams are have losing records. So so how do you watch football on 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 Sundays? What or what does Greg Easterbrook do? Do you have like multiple screens up? Uh, th- this is actually a trade secret of TMQ because. <laughs> If you read the column, you get the impression that I see every play from right. every game. And just as magici- magicians cannot tell you how they do it, Charlie, I can't tell you how I do it. But I'll, if you read the column, I'll certainly give you that impression. Three, two, one. Today's Daily Standard podcast is brought to you by X-Bar. X-Bar is the whole food protein bar that I've talked about before. Well, what does that mean? Their bars are made with 100% whole ingredients. Back in 2013, RX Bar called BS on other protein bars because there wasn't a protein bar out there that wasn't full of artificial stuff, fillers, preservatives. That's why RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients and where every ingredient serves a purpose. And they label all of these ingredients, such as egg whites, dates, and nuts, on the front of the package and the ingredients that make up the texture and the taste on the back, you know, 100% real cocoa, coconut, etc. So beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, RX Bars actually taste really good. And as I mentioned, I take them with me wherever I go, particularly when I travel. Um, they are a perfect snap, snack. They are a perfect way of getting you from one meal to the next. Uh, and they're, the core ingredients basically do all the talking. It's like eating three egg whites, two dates, and six almonds. So it tastes great. You don't have to feel guilty about it. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugar, no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers at all. And some of the flavors... Um, my favorite, uh, chocolate sea salt, peanut butter, blueberry, mint chocolate, and more. So we want breakfast on the go, snack at the office, throw a f- uh, bag uh, for your, your flight on an airplane, uh, toss into your backpack or for a bike ride. Um, and that's what I do. I usually have a stack ready every time I, I travel. So here's a special offer for listeners. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com standard. And enter promo code STANDARD. That's rxbar.com slash STANDARD. And enter promo code STANDARD for 25% off. I want to thank Greg Easterbrook for joining me today. And thank all of you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.